Let's take a moment to pray. Oh Lord, uh, we recognize that we are needy people and we need what only you can give. And so, Lord, we are needy and we are hungry for you, for your word and your spirit and continue your transforming work and power and grace in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are three Sundays into our series, 50 Days of Unleashing Hope, and I know a lot of you have the book, The Hope Quotient. How many of you have started reading it yet? All right, so if you've been reading, give me a big hearty amen. Amen. All right, very good. If you don't have a copy of the book yet, we have more because we want everybody to have one. Uh, There's a book table set up now. Maybe you want to get a book to give away to a friend or a family member who you know would really read it and be blessed by it. I was talking to a family member this last week, and and I'm going to get one for him. And then uh, uh, also, uh, we're we're learning a verse uh, throughout this series. And I've got this kind of strange goal. We know we pastors have these strange ideas in our heads that everybody's going to learn this one by heart. What do you think? All right, it's wrong. Yeah, I got somebody saying yes, encouraging me. So Romans 15, 13, and it's not going to be on the screen today. It's in your outline, which is the insert in your bulletin. So I need you to pull that out, and you'll see it there at the top, right under the series title, Romans 15, 13, all right? And I'm going to have us all say that out loud together. Let's go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're already starting to learn this one, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, To overflow with hope. It makes me think of that, that hope is in such abundance that it spills out and starts to affect other people around me and, and other people around you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to be that kind of person that just sort of overflows with hope and, and you, you encourage people, you build them up, you make them better people. Just by being around them, they walk away feeling good, feeling a little better, a little more hopeful about life. Uh, you know, everybody you meet needs encouragement. Have you thought about that? It's true. Everybody you meet, everybody you're going to meet here at Faith Westwood today, everybody needs encouragement. And, and you know, sometimes I notice with parents, it seems that we, we you know, especially when our kids were young, it seems like you, all the interaction you have with them, and so much of it anyway, is negative. And you ever feel like, oh, I'm spending 90% of my contact with them correcting them and only 10% encouraging them? What would it be like if you flipped that around? So you're giving encouragement 90% of the interaction, and this 10% is correction. And, and maybe, I think there are a lot of times when we could actually do that. And also then, in order to be that kind of person, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's power and love and grace to be at work in us so that we can be that kind of person where hope overflows. I spent uh, Friday in Chicago. So it's kind of a strange thing for me because I don't fly that much, but I went to Chicago and, and uh, met with 1,700 other United Methodists 
from across the nation and some from other places in the world. And, with, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future of our denomination right now. And so this gathering really inspired a lot of hope because something new and strong is emerging, is starting to take shape. And while we don't know the answers to all the questions that lie in front of us, we are here to band together to support one another, and we wait with hope. Anyway, on Friday, during the lunch break, I had an opportunity to meet someone I've never met before, but I've, I've heard a lot about him over the years, Maxie Dunham. I don't know if any of you have ever heard the name Maxie Dunham. Uh, he's a United Methodist uh, clergy person, uh, former civil rights leader. Uh, he was a, a pastor for uh, a number of years, and then he began to serve as the editor for the upper room. Yeah. And, uh, and then, during that time, he founded Walk to Emmaus Retreats for United Methodists. He's the one that got all that going. And then, for 10 years, he was the president of my alma mater, Asbury Seminary. Maxie is in his mid-80s now, but it was just a delight to be able to meet him and talk with him, and just being around him gave me hope. And then, just shortly after that, he was there addressing the, the entire assembly and said that, he said, I am, just, I am just as excited about the future now as when I became a pastor more than 60 years ago. I thought that was, what a powerful witness. Thought, That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be like Maxie Dunham. He's, here's a person whose hope is overflowing. And one reason that we're able to overflow with hope about our future is that Jesus enables us to make peace with our past. All right, I've got something to, I want you to show you here today. Okay, what's in the tub? Well, you're going to find out. I have a chain. And this is no wimpy chain. As you can see, this is a heavy-duty chain. Uh, do you remember in, in the story, the, A Christmas Carol, when Jacob Marley appears to Ebenezer Scrooge, and he talks about this chain that he's got wrapped around him and dragging behind him, and he says that he has forged this chain over many years of all of the sinful things and selfish things that he has done and all the generous and good things that he did not do. So for me, this chain represents my spiteful anger, my hardness of heart, my gossip, my greed, my lust. I have, I have built this over a lifetime, and I drag it along, and it drags me down. But Jesus wore my chain. He hung it around his neck on the cross, and he carried it with him to death and the grave, and in his resurrection, he busted those chains. And so because of Jesus, I no longer carry the chain of my sin. He has set me free. 
there's another chain. Another chain. And that is the hurt, the hurts of my past. We've all had them. We've all been wounded. We grew up with these hurts. We've experienced things that should never have happened to us. And we have not experienced things that should have happened to us. And these hurts from our past are the driving force behind much of our fear, our insecurity, our anger, our compulsive behavior, our need to control. These hurts, each one is like a link on the chain that we carry. And the only way to let go of this chain is to face these hurts and to grieve to grieve over what happened, to grieve over what didn't happen, and to let Jesus be there with us. I remember a time when I was, uh, I was guided in a meditation by a counselor, a time of meditative prayer. It was, uh, it was almost like a conscious dream and it was representing certain memories of my childhood. And I won't share all the details. It would be probably too personal for me to share. But during one scene in this guided meditation, I was a little boy. And I was down on my knees. And I was sort of bent down and my forearms were on the floor. And then I put my head down so that my, my forehead was on the floor. And I began to cry over what happened. And in my guided meditation, Jesus was there. And he got down on his knees beside me. And he took his hand and began to run it across the back of my head and my neck. And he said, it was never meant to be this way. And I continued to cry, and I said, I don't want it to be this way. And he paused, and he continued to, to, to soothe me, to comfort me with his hand on the back of my head and my neck. And he just said it again. It was never meant to be this way. And somehow, by hearing those words, and feeling that touch, it was, it was a healing moment for me. And sometimes in my imagination, as you might guess, I go back to that scene. You know, it's hard to be hopeful if we're dragging around the chains, right? If we're dragging around the chains of our sins, if we're dragging around the chains of our hurts, but Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our healer. He has come to set us free. Jesus sets us free to live in the present and to live hopefully about the future. And so to represent hope about the future, I also brought these. 
my binoculars. This way I can see who's sleeping out there. All right, okay. And, uh, you know, binoculars help you to see who's, so you see what's farther away, right? And so I, I'm hoping that you'll catch that they symbolize having a hopeful expectation toward the future. And, and, and you can have that hopeful expectation of the future because Jesus says, don't worry. You have a heavenly Father, like we sang in the song, who loves you, who's good to you, who cares about you. And sure, life's going to get hard sometimes. It's going to be painful, but you will not be alone. Sometimes you're going to face suffering. Sometimes you're going to deal with disappointments. He says, but I'll be with you. That's our hope. Um, some of you already know that uh, when it comes to sports, I'm not particularly a fan of the Duke Blue Devils. Okay. But I do respect, I do respect their coach, Mike Krzyzewski. I think he, he's got to be one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. One thing that Coach K is famous for saying is, is shouting at his players, next play, next play. Let's say one of his players comes up and shoots and goes, it's an air ball. He says, next play, like forget about it, move on. Go right it, go out to net. Don't dwell on that, go on. Maybe one of his players commits a foolish foul. <laughs> well, he says, next play, don't, don't dwell on it, keep going. And you know, it's also the same if they do something great. If one of his players gets a steal, intercepts a pass, or maybe shoots a clutch three-pointer, he just calls out, okay, next play. You can't, you can't dwell on that because you're going to miss what happens next. It's all about a forward focus. And that's the way the Bible is. The Bible has a future orientation. And all you families who, who your kids just got a Bible, I think when you, when you start getting the Bible with them, you're going to find that in almost every page, this future forward orientation. Um, so I need you to, to look at the outline again. If you go back to that, we're going to walk through a few of the, the points for the rest of the message today. You can fill these in uh, as we go along. And the first one is this. The Bible gives us a forward-looking faith. All right, let's say that together, shall we? The Bible gives us a forward-looking faith. Now, the passage that we read earlier, uh, that Laura read for us uh, from Luke's gospel, has some parallels in Matthew. And you'll see in your outline below that first point is Matthew 19, 28, where Jesus talks about the renewal of all things. I mean, that is, a that is a stop in your tracks kind of phrase. The renewal of all things. Someday. Other places in the Bible call it the, when God restores all things. There is a day coming that is not going to be like today. And there will not be hurricanes or hungry children. There will not be bombs falling from the sky or buried in the ground. There will not be terrorism or climate change or political campaigns. 
At the end of the book of Revelation, we see heaven and earth merged into one glorious creation, and Jesus says, I am making everything new. Oh, doesn't that just make you want to say hallelujah? Go ahead and say hallelujah. Yeah. Now, what will it be like? I don't know. I don't know. Will there be streets of gold? Maybe. Or maybe that's a symbol of the glory and beauty of that environment. Here's one thing I do think will be there, and that is I think there will be work for us to do. I mean, I don't really know for sure, but I, I think there will be work for us to do. Me, not toilsome labor, but meaningful, enjoyable work. Because, and here's the reason I think that, is because when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, before sin ever came into the picture, they had work to do. They had to work in the garden and care for the garden. And even when they named the animals, it sort of implies their care for all of creation. And so if God had work for humans to do in the first paradise, wouldn't it make sense that he would have work for us to do in the future paradise? And all our work will be done to the glory and praise of God just as if we were gathered around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. The Bible gives us a forward-looking faith. But you know, it's not just about that day. It's also about this day. It's about our lives right here and right now. God wants to give you hope for your future now. Jesus wants to deliver us not just from hell in the next life, but from the hell we create in this life. And here's the next one on the outline. I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Jesus sees what I can become. Let's say it again. Jesus sees what I can become. Now, who is probably the best known of all Jesus' disciples? It would be Simon, also called Peter. Uh, Jesus met Simon uh, at his boat along the shore of the lake, and, and Jesus said to him, hey, let's, let's take it out. Let's take, let's take the boat out. And so they, they go out on the boat, out on the lake, and uh, because of Jesus, they come up with a miraculous catch of fish. And Simon realized, Simon Peter realized, I am out of my league. I don't even want to be around this guy. I'm sure he doesn't want to be around me. Uh, and so Peter said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Jesus had a way of bringing sinners into his circle, and he did that by believing what they could become. He told Simon, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. And Simon thought, me? Wow, if Jesus can see that future in me, well, why not give it a shot? So he dropped his nets, he parked his boat, and he went with Jesus. Jesus sees what I can become. And for Simon, you know, it's not just about changing jobs. It's about seeing himself in an entirely different way than he ever had thought of before. On, uh, on Friday, 
uh, at this conference, Pastor Carolyn Moore told about a woman who had been in and out of her church for a decade. She was a meth addict, and she kept going back to her addiction. Meth is really tough stuff. She also cooked meth and sold it. And one day, in her desperation, she cried out to Jesus to save her. And shortly after that, she was arrested, which was probably the answer to her prayer. She spent 18 months in jail, and with the help of people from her church who came to see her, she got into some deep Bible study and prayer, and she learned how to live the Jesus life. Now, this woman is on staff at that church. The pastor says, so the director of adult discipleship at our church is a convicted felon, and I wouldn't have it any other way. What does Jesus see in you? What does Jesus see in you? What does Jesus see in you? It might take a while to figure it out, to sort it all through, but he'll show you. He'll reveal it to you. Because when you start putting God first in your life and you start doing life God's way, all those pieces seem to come together. And Jesus also knows that the process that you're going to go through isn't going to be a smooth, continually even upward graph. Don't, don't expect it to, to not have some bumps along the way. A lot of times, we are just plain going to have to learn through failure. I mean, that's how it works a lot of times, right? We're going to have to fail, but there's good news. And that's the next point along the way. Let's say this one. Jesus sees beyond my failures along the way. And nobody knew that better than Simon Peter. Jesus... Um, is with his disciples. They're eating the Passover the night before Jesus is going to go to the cross. And Jesus knows that these guys are not going to have the courage to stick with him when the guards show up to arrest him. But Jesus sees beyond their failure. He sees beyond their lack of faith. He sees beyond their fear. He still sees what they can become. And Jesus turns to Simon Peter and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. You know what I'm talking about there, how they would throw up the wheat and the chaff would blow away. And he's going to say, okay, I'm going to, Satan's saying, I'm going to see what they're really made of because some of them are going to fall away. And then a little later, Jesus tells Peter how bad it's going to be. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And, of course, a lot of you know the story. Peter does deny Jesus three times. And yet he also knows that Jesus has prayed for him that your faith may not fail. Now, I was thinking about this verse this week, and I was, you know, kind of dwelling on it and, praying through it and something occurred to me that I had never seen and 
I mean, I've spent a lot of time in this verse over the years. It's kind of been a prayer verse for me, for my kids. But what, what was the faith that Jesus prayed would not fail for Peter? And I began to realize it, it's probably not their faith in Jesus. They probably still think the same of Jesus. What Jesus is praying for that will not fail is Peter's faith in himself, in his faith in what Jesus sees in him that he can become. That's the faith that Jesus prays will not fail. And there are going to be times when you feel like such a stinking failure that you're going to want to give up on yourself. But Jesus is there, and he's praying for you that your faith may not fail because he sees what you can become. He still sees it. In the book, The Hope Quotient, one of the best parts of the book, I think, is the question that many of us read in the chapter this week, what can this become? Instead of focusing on the problem at the moment, ask, look farther down the road and ask, what can this become? And in your outline, you'll notice the same blank that you see up there on the screen, and that's for you to fill in, okay? You decide what to ask. What can this marriage become? What can this career become? What can this school year become? What can this family become? What can this church become? What can this failure become? Jesus prayed for Simon and said, said to him, Simon, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Will you? When, you? when you turn around, when you make it around that failure, strengthen your brothers. He's, he's saying, I, I know you'll fail, but I have prayed for you, and someday they're going to need you. They're going to need you because they'll need to know that their failures are also not final. And for the last 2,000 years, people have been learning about Peter's failures and how God still used him anyway. And they say, well, then maybe there's hope for me. So yeah, you failed, you've messed up big time, but there is a God who redeems, there is a God who, who delivers us from our failures. And you can still ask the question, what can this become? And here's the deal. Even if you don't know the answer to the question, what can this become, just asking the question shifts your perspective. Right? Maybe your relationship with your son or daughter or your mom and dad isn't going very well, and there is conflict and there is tension, there's lots of frustration mounting, and you don't know what to do. And so you start talking to God, okay, Lord, what can this become? And just asking the question shifts your focus away from the problem to the possibility. And then we wait upon God and we wait for an answer to come and we watch it unfold.
with expectation, with hope. You see, there's a lot about the future we can't see, but we wait with expectation. So this morning, maybe a lot of you came in carrying your chains. You are burdened by the sins of the past, the hurts of the past. There is a Redeemer, and He will deliver you. He will set you free. Is that your hope? This morning, some of you have been, would realize, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for a good time now. But I'm like Simon Peter, and I, I have failed. I have turned my back on him at times. I've disappointed him, I know. But Jesus prays. He doesn't give up on you. He prays that your faith may not fail, that you will continue to see the future that he sees for you. And when you turn around, when you come back, he's going to redeem that. He's going to use it for you to help others. And they're going to say, okay, if Steve's been through that, maybe God can help me too. If I've been through that, maybe God can help me too. That's our hope. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, um, you know, we, a lot of us came in carrying chains today, and uh, they have dragged us down, and they, we just continue to drag them along. But, Lord, you are our Redeemer who sets us free. You have carried our chains with you to the cross, and you have busted them loose. Oh, Lord, we pray that uh, you'll help us to walk out of here free, and that even our failures, you will not help us to not focus on them, but to focus on who we are becoming in your eyes by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.